The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right, this is Ezra 9 and 10, 1 through 17. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our, iniquity, our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, our kings and our priests have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, the favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants and prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there could be no more remnant nor any escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are, are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. 
Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord. And of those who tremble at the commandments of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites in all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehonahan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited. And he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. But the people are many and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for a day or two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, son of Asahel, and Josiah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shebathah, the Levites, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of their father's houses, according to their father's houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Better you than me reading that this morning. Uh, I really do hope that many in this place will be at the Jubilee service this afternoon at uh, Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church. Um, Just to make sure that it's clear, the Memphis Christian Pastors Network, we um, assembled the night after the bridge closing uh, about a year and a half ago. um, And from that meeting, really that night, we had probably over a hundred churches, representatives of a hundred churches coming together. And from that meeting has it evolved into what we now know as the Memphis Christian Pastors Network. And it's a very diverse group um, of ministers and leaders across the city united for issues of justice and reconciliation in the church and through the church. And so uh, this is our first
first, I guess, public event, and uh, we will be honoring uh, the sanitation workers. There will be two of uh, the sanitation workers that um, were in that first march and um, 50 years ago. And if you don't realize, tomorrow is the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the sanitation workers' strike, and there were many marches during that time, uh, but tomorrow is, is recognized as the 50th anniversary of that. And so uh, both mayors will be there this afternoon. Um, business leaders, ministers will have 120 or so voice choir. And I went to their practice this week. Uh, a lot of our members are in that choir. It's going to be um, fantastic. And um, I don't believe that you know one-time events like this are going to change the city. But I believe as we keep coming together, as we see a movement occur, um, that these are steps to go toward real change. And and so that's what I hope you'll see this as this afternoon. Food trucks will be out uh, around 2.30 and then uh, the service will begin at 3.30. It should be about two hours, uh, but it'll roll quickly from one speaker to another, one song to another. Um, And I think that uh, we'll all be very much engaged. Uh, Our own Aaron Cole is um, leading the creative element. So as you come into Mississippi Boulevard Church, there will be a reenactment of uh, the sanitation workers' strike and those that opposed it. Um, So that is everything you see coming into the sanctuary. Know that Aaron is behind that. Um, And I know that uh, just telling her how proud you are of her and supporting her as well uh, this afternoon will be a huge encouragement. Uh, She's worked really hard. So hope to see you there this afternoon, Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church. Um, I'd get there at least by 3. It's going to be a lot of people. So I uh, hope to see you there. So we're closing out Ezra. Uh, we've been looking at this, uh, the, um, this historical book, and we're about to go into Nehemiah, start Nehemiah next week. And as we started this series, we um, made very clear that the reason that God has given us historical accounts like this is not just that we might read it and, and have our heads blown up with more information, but the reason that the writer of Ezra is writing this the way that he's writing this is to teach us something. Um, Just like any good historical account, um, especially of a time when there's a lot of unfaithfulness and a lot of uh, sin, um, we read these stories and and what God is saying is, don't do that. (laughs) And yet every story, every account is something that we can all relate to because there's really not a whole lot of difference between us and Israel. Uh, we struggle with the same sins. We, we struggle with the same ambition and pride. And, um, and, and so these accounts, it's not hard to make the stretch to our front door, uh, the very front door of our hearts and minds. Uh, so as we move into this, uh, the last couple of chapters of Ezra, though it seems very strange, there's, um, there, there's uh, interfaith marriage and there, there's judgment and uh, repentance and just very strange things going on, it's really not that strange. Um, So before we go to the text, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you that you're a God that is speaking to us today through this very word. Oh God, I pray that I would handle it well and I pray that you would speak to us through your word. 
Father, there is no man or woman that can change the heart of another. We need you to move. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you convict us of sin? Would you open our minds to new things? Oh God, may we see our faith and see the Christian life in a different angle and from a different angle this morning. And oh God, may our repentance go deeper. May you convince the one who is skeptical of all of this. May you bring home the orphan and the one who is far from you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you change our hearts? Would you pierce our hearts? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? We wait on you. Speak to us. We beg. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I um, got out of seminary, I I, I immediately began youth work. Uh, I was a youth worker, youth minister. And um, if you've ever been involved in youth work or in a youth ministry, you know that you take a lot of trips. And as the leader of those trips, um, it's a risk. And any youth minister knows that you always have that kid. and maybe I was that kid uh, in the youth group, but um, but I had this kid, and uh, more often than not, every trip, every time we went somewhere else, she would wander off. And I remember this one specific trip. She wandered off, and we literally could not find her, and we were scared to death. Um, we were sent out literally search parties looking, and over two hours later, we finally found her and she was with a group of guys from we don't know where and uh, as she came back I gave her the talk one more time look you don't just represent yourself you represent your, your church your friends your family your parents you and most importantly you represent God Well, as we come to the end of Ezra, that's where we find the account of Ezra. (laughs) What we're hearing in this story is, Israel, one more time, can you get in your heads, you don't exist for yourself. You see... God's people had been in exile for 50 years. They'd been in exile, sent in exile, because God was disciplining them for wandering off with other nations. And so they spend 50 years in exile, and God fashions and forms them and brings them back and gives them the opportunity to rebuild the altar, rebuild the temple. Ezra, in chapter 8, comes in, the priest Ezra, the one who is a Torah scholar, comes in, reestablishes temple worship. The end of chapter 8, he is offering sacrifices um, for the people, and then immediately, in verse Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, this is what we read. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons. So that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the official and chief men has been foremost. So it's not just the people, it's the leaders. 
It's the religious leaders. It's the political leaders. They are the ones who are taking foreign wives for themselves. And you say, well, what's that about? Well, we've got to go back to Deuteronomy 7. Um, God tells them what that's about in Deuteronomy 7. We read, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And you see, many throughout history have used this passage as a weapon for racism to condemn interracial marriage. And this has nothing to do with interracial marriage. It has everything to do with interfaith marriage. It has everything to do with marrying one who does not worship the one true God. That was God's concern. That's why He even says in our passage, and, uh, and I noticed, I don't know if it was by, um, by purpose, that Nick kind of paused where, um, where, where um, God t- or Ezra tells the people, hey, don't seek the peace and prosperity of the pagan nations. Because Jeremiah says, hey, when you're in exile, seek the peace and prosperity. What, what he's saying is, don't, don't so mingle with the nations that you become one with them. You've always got to take the Scriptures and interpret them in light of and through the grid of the rest of the Scriptures. And it's very clear that what God is after is to make a people for Himself, but to make a people for Himself that would bless the nations. You see, this was the sin of Israel when they came back to Jerusalem. Ezra was so excited to make Jerusalem great again, like literally. And yet immediately, the very first thing after um, uh, reinstituting temple worship, the worship of, 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 you know, in the temple... He finds out that the priests and and, um, the Levites and the leaders of the people, the officials in the land, are marrying foreign women. And therefore, it's inevitable they're going to be worshiping their gods. And so instead of being a blessing to the nations, they are intermingling and becoming like the nations. And this is what Ezra repents for. You see, dear friends, what God was doing in the Old Testament is He was calling a people to Himself that might bless others. We see it in the the laws of Deuteronomy that the, the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, when they did business, when they planted crops, they were to leave a certain amount, they were to leave the outlying areas for the poor, for the stranger, for the refugee. They weren't to be um, 
selfish like the nations around them. They weren't to be greedy like the nations around them. That which uh, separated the community of God's people in the workplace from others was to be their generosity and their concern for the weakest among them and the marginalized. They were to take a day off. Six days you shall labor. The seventh day you shall rest. Every other nation used the people until they died. There was no day off. But in Israel, Israel was to be an attractive community, an attractive nation by having a day off, commanding rest, commanding a day of peace and and renewal. They were to welcome the stranger when a slave escaped another nation and they came into Israel. God commanded his people to welcome them and let them settle anywhere among them. You see, Israel was to be a nation that the other nations admired. To be a nation where other people in other situations and under other rulers would want to flee to. That was the picture of Israel. We see it especially in Micah 4 verses 1 and 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills. And people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Do you get this picture? These are people that, that, that are in nations that are worshiping other gods, that are scoffing at the God of Israel. Israel, Jerusalem, the people of God, the community of God will be so attractive that the other nations will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His paths. And instead, what are the people doing in our passage? They're saying, you know what? Our God is really not that worthy to be worshipped and obeyed. As a matter of fact, why don't you give us your wives? Give us your women. We're just here to use you, not to lead you to the one true God. I don't know if that applies to you where you're living your life, but it certainly applies to mine. Are we living our lives so as to bless our neighbor? Are we living our lives so as to use our neighbor to get us blessing? That's the purpose. That is the subject matter at hand in the last two chapters of Ezra. Let's look at it. The first thing, if we are going to be faithful people, we've got to understand that faithfulness is a prerequisite to blessing your neighbor or the nations. Your faithfulness, your personal faithfulness is a prerequisite to blessing your neighbor. Let let me unpack this a little bit. I've had several friends in ministry um, commit adultery and and have affairs. And um, it's tragic it's tragic because you feel you so feel for the spouse, you feel for the children, you feel for even the one who committed the sin, you, you feel for the church community. And it is so damaging because it gives the world, it gives those on the outside, it gives the, the skeptic more fodder to say, see, I told you this is just a bunch of junk. You see, it is so damaging because our sin doesn't just affect us, but it affects everything else. 
and that's what, that's why Ezra is pulling out his hair, pulling out his beard, tearing his clothes, but he's, he's like, we have come back to the land to be a blessing to the world, and now we are no different from the world. We are not a blessing anymore. You see, dear friends, the sin of, of Israel was not just some isolated thing. Well, it's not a big deal. We'll just take the wives. I mean, maybe there's a shortage of women in Israel. I don't know. Maybe the women are better looking among the nations. Maybe they are more resourced with money. or I don't know. Maybe their dowries are bigger. I don't know what the attraction was. But they justified it in your minds. This is just not that big of a deal. And Ezra says, this is a huge deal. Why? Because, dear friends, we can never isolate our sin as an isolated act. But every single time that we sin, this is what we're communicating. God, you're not enough. I have to go outside of you to really be satisfied. I have to go beyond your means. I can't, I mean, come on. It's unrealistic to obey you in my situation, in my circumstance. I cannot trust you. You are not enough. And that's what Israel was doing. They were showing the nations, there is really nothing special about our God. In fact, He can't even really give us women that can satisfy us. So we've got to go outside of it. We've got to go outside of the fold. And don't you see, dear friends, how faithfulness is just the opposite. Faithfulness says, I do trust you. You are a great God. You're the God that redeemed me for yourself. You're the God that came after me when I was dead in my sin. You're the God that saw me before the creation of the world. You're the God that pursued me. You're the God that doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. You're the God that is faithful when I'm faithless. That is true when I'm false. You are always light. You are always good. You are loving me even in the midst of my sin. You are a God worthy of trusting. You're a God worthy of sacrifice. You're a God of saying yes to. You see, it's only when our hearts are consumed with the grace of Christ, it's only when our hearts are convinced of the gospel that we are living a life that is truly going to attract anybody else. That's truly going to bless our neighbor. And there are two very practical reasons for this. You see, when we are not believing that God is enough, two things are happening. Whenever you believe in your heart, whenever you begin to weaken your faith in the reality that God is enough for me, that I was created for Him, and He and He alone can satisfy me and fill me, the minute that we question that even a little bit, we immediately go searching for what is enough. Do you hear me? Whenever you in your heart think God is not enough, you will find what is. And when you are on a search for what is, you are not going to bless your neighbor and you are not going to bless the nations. Because that is not your agenda. Your real agenda is me. You're focused on me. The second very practical thing, the reason that you're not going to bless your neighbor and you're not going to bless the nations when you don't believe that God is enough, is all you're going to have is your performance and your quote, obedience. 
I mean, that's the sin of every religious person. You know, God is not enough. His grace is not sufficient. He really doesn't love me like He says He does. What my real confidence is in, what my real security is in, is all the theology that I know. Where my real security is in is that I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. I set up these laws that I obey and I feel good before God and others, actually better before others and better than others, because I have obeyed these laws. I am X and not Y. And dear friends, whenever you are feeling better than others, you are not blessing others. You're condemning them. And Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Is that what you exist for? Do you exist to bless your neighbor? If you don't, it's because you don't believe in this moment right now that God is enough for you. Secondly, our community, not our personal individualistic life, our community is the conduit to most bless our neighbor in the nations. It's so interesting that Ezra is repenting for the sins of the nation. Ezra is repenting for the communal sins. Why? Because God is not just about us individuals. He's about our community. Go with me on this. We need to hear this in our day, especially our day uh, of individual expression. Our day when the individual is everything. And there's some great things about that. I think that's where the Me Too movement, and and, and it's why there's a resurgence um, of justice. and, And there's so many good things coming from that. But when we only and ultimately put the individuals the center, we go way off the cliff, and many are. Because God doesn't just want Richard Reeves to live this holy life. He wants Richard Reeves to live this holy life that Terrence and Josh and Rachel and might be blessed. It's the community. Let me give you a, a vivid illustration of this. Tarana Burke... Probably nobody in this room has ever heard of Toronto Burke. If you have, it's because you've done a little research. Uh, I, I did some research basically to find out how the Me Too movement started. And it really started, or at least the hashtag started with her. Back in, um, even before, 10 years before 97, 1997, she um, uh, had an encounter with a young girl who had been sexually abused. And in listening to that story, it tore her up. And she had, um, you know, she just couldn't get it out of her mind. And so, ten years later, she started a nonprofit to um, um, that would be a resource for women who have been sexually abused or harassed. And ten years later, um, I think it was like 2007, she came up with this this idea of this hashtag Me Too. But notice, she was a voice crying in the wilderness until Melissa, Melissa Morano took it and tweeted it out in uh, regard to her experience with Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, and then it just went viral. And after going viral, <laughs> what has happened? 
because there's a community and not just one person crying in the wilderness, because there's this massive community united around this one purpose, some of the most powerful men in our country have been taken down. Does anybody have any clue where Matt Lauer or Charlie Rose or... No. Where are they? We may never see them again. It's unbelievable to think what happened when people united for what is right and good. Do you understand that when God called Abraham in Genesis out to be his treasured possession, he took him out. He said, look at all the stars in the sky. I know that this seems crazy, but listen, Abraham, that's how many children you're going to have one day. And and your children, they're going to be so many throughout the world that they are literally going to bless the nations. Dear friends, listen to this. Listen to... Um, um, well, maybe not. Yes, listen to this. Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 8. I love it. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you. Hear that. That the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He has taken what is small and insignificant, but He is going to use what is small and insignificant to bless the nations. Dear friends, that's what God is doing with you and me in this place today. How many of you, when God calls you to obedience, do you, does, do you fall into sin because you feel like you're just insignificant, you're not the preacher, you're not one of the elders, you're not one of the... De- Dear friends, do you understand how important your faithfulness is? Do you understand how important what you do with your life, how important it is? Because the world is looking not at one or two individuals, but He is looking at our community. He is looking at us. And what God wants to create among us is a just community. Because remember, sin is the definition of sin is choosing something other than God to satisfy me. And when we as a community are saying God is enough, do you know what the product is of that? It's joy. It's peace. It's a heart that's not divided. It's eyes that are not wandering. It's a people that have peace in God, who aren't leaning on money, who aren't leaning on fitness, who aren't leaning on health, who are not leaning on power, who are not leaning on racial identity, who are not leaning on anything else for their identity but God Himself. And when you have a people that are so freed because they believe that God will take care of them because He loves them, And you have a people who are not scratching and and biting, trying to find meaning, but they have found meaning, the very reason they've been made, and His name is Jesus. Then you have a community of people that can be a blessing to your neighbor and the world. Dear friends, are we? If we're not, 
It's because we as the community are not convinced that God is enough. This was Jesus' prayer in John 17. Listen, the glory that you've given me, praying to His Father, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. How is the world going to know that Jesus is real? It's if, if we are loving each other and laying our lives down for each other. I've said it, I don't know how many times, but I, it, it, uh, I haven't pulled my beard out because I don't have a beard. Uh, I haven't pulled my hair out because I want it all to stay there. But every time I think about the statistic that Memphis is the poorest city in the country, it makes me so ashamed. Because we have over 3,500 churches. Tomorrow, right here at Claiborne Temple, um, there'll be an assembly organized by a group called Fight for 15. It's, it's a group that is, uh, they'll be marching from here to City Hall. Um, and, and, and what they want to see is the minimum wage raised from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour. Now, we could probably stay here all day and debate whether or not you agree or disagree with raising the minimum wage from $7.25 to $15. I bet business owners would have one view, and it would be very different from the view. I mean, we could literally divide this assembly by bringing that up. Here's the thing. You don't have to believe in raising the minimum wage from $7.25 to $15 an hour. No, your responsibility and mine and ours as a community is much greater than that. Because Jesus told this little parable about the greatest commandment. After saying that the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor like ourselves, uh, the one to whom he was telling this to smarted off and said, Oh great, well who is our neighbor? And Jesus told this little story about a man who was beat and left for dead. And some religious people walked by and saw him and immediately had to get to their meeting had to get to their Bible study, had to get to their religious living, and they got to the other side of the road and and passed by. But there was a Samaritan, an outcast, an, an immoral outcast who came by, and he didn't cross over, but he went straight to. And he said, now who do you think loved his neighbor? If Jesus stood in Memphis today, oh, we've given to this nonprofit, we've given to that, well, we're... You're the poorest city in the country, Memphis. Are you kidding me? You have passed by your neighbor. And we as the church are to blame. We can't blame the government. We can't blame the world. This, we can't blame the businesses. This isn't McDonald's fault. This is our fault. Because we are the ones who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He cared for you. He did not cross the other side of the street 
with you. But he stopped and he said, I take ownership of Richard Reeves and all of his sin and all of his wickedness and all of his junk. I take ownership of him and I lay my life down that he might live. Dear friends, that's not some social liberal. That's the gospel. (laughs) That's what Christ commanded us to do. Why? Because we should know above all people what it's like to be low and lifted up by grace. To be unworthy and to be given all the riches of the world. To be needy of of being in prison, to be needy of being cast away, to being marginalized, to being forgotten, and yet to be lifted up as the treasured possession of the King of heaven and earth. Dear friends, what are we doing? What in the world are we doing? That, I think, is the message to you and me from Ezra. Is your life blessing anybody? Is your life lifting anybody up? Are you taking responsibility for the single mom with four or five children that that can't make a livable wage? Are you trying to help her get a skill? Gets are you are we doing anything that would prove that God has saved us? Dear friends, that is the message. And the answer to that is maybe some maybe we're doing something. So what's going to make us change? Well, it's not feeling guilty. (laughs) If we stopped right here and I said, all right, you bunch of guilty sinners, everybody leave, and I'm just going to leave you in your guilt, nothing's going to change. Maybe you'll sign up, but that'll, you know, it's kind of like all the diets that started January 1. I'm going to go to the gym every day, whatever. And even if you are, you filled with pride and self-righteousness, feeling better than everybody else around you who stopped going, you know. No, point number three, thank you for the gospel. Faithful community is empowered by God's faithfulness, not yours. So, Richard, where in the world are you getting that? Well, Ezra's a priest. Ezra's a priest. What's a priest? It's somebody who stands between the people and God. And what does he do? He rips his hair out, top of his head and his beard, tears his clothes, and falls on the ground appalled. And so, yeah, what are we to do with that? Here's what we're to do with that. Ezra is a Christ figure. Ezra, as a priest, foreshadows something. There's an echo forward Uh, There's a story, there's a message to be heard there. All Ezra can do is rip out his beard and fall on the ground of shame. But guess what? We have a priest who was stripped naked. And his garments were were divided by lot. That means guys stood around and, and, and threw dice for his clothes. And he was hung on a cross. And he became, he wouldn't just fall on the ground appalled before the Father, but he became a curse for you and me so that we might be declared sons and daughters. 
He was lifted off the ground and put on a cross. Ezra, all he could do was offer the sacrifices of bulls and goats and doves in chapter 8. But our God offered Himself. Our high priest offered Himself. And guess what? The Father received it perfectly. And now, in all of your guilt, in all of my guilt, in all of the things that we have left undone, in all of our pride and our self-righteousness, and all of our lust and our pleasure-seeking, in every single way that we tell God every single day, you are not enough. He says, but you are enough in my Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, you're everything to me. Dear friends, that's the kind of priest you have today. What do you do? You don't just go sign up for a nonprofit to, to volunteer. You run to the cross And you say, there's nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. You are my treasure. You are my gift. You are the one. Faith in you as my father and my caregiver and my shepherd. It's only then that I can, when I believe that, then I can let go of my money. Then I can, then I can move my life in a different direction. Say, no, I'm not going to climb this ladder to the top anymore. I'm going somewhere else. Because I believe that life is down, not up the corporate ladder. Do you see it? I can come to downtown church where nothing's organized and everything's crazy and people walk. I, do you? I can make changes that I never thought I could make. I can plant a church I would never thought that I would have planted. I can do things. Why? Because I have a God who is real and He reigns over heaven and earth and He is good and He's redeemed me and He's adopted me through the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that your priest, Jesus Christ, has atoned for your sin, has cleansed you and made you righteous and He is dancing over you with joy? Then go love somebody that needs to hear that message. Give stuff to away. Get involved with somebody's life and help them move forward. Why? Because that's what God has done for you. Does Ezra have anything to say to you? Has it come to your front door this morning? Has it maybe gone in a little far? Give yourself to Jesus. Fall on Him. Ezra ends unfinished. This is the last verse of Ezra 10, the last verse of the book. All these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. Uh, the repentance is ridiculous. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know if it's good repentance or bad. They divorced their wives. They created single-family homes and, and young boys and young girls who had no fathers. How in the world is that good repentance? <laughs> I mean, I'll argue this all the A lot of commentaries, you know, kind of applaud. I, I just, I don't know if I can applaud that. It's messy. It's, it's, and that's the point. It's not even the extent of your repentance that is your hope. It's the blood of Jesus that is your hope. Are you resting fully in Him? I pray you are. I'm going to ask our elders and community group leaders to come forward. And if you want prayer, 
If you want to confess sin, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you came in here with a burden that's just too much for you and you want people to pray for you uh, during our offering, feel free to come forward. Um, I love this time because it really is a time just to be vulnerable and say, I can't do life alone. Um, So may you do that at this time. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're a God that is faithful to your covenant promises. Oh, if we were you, we would have been done with Israel way before this story, but definitely after this story. But not you. Not you, oh God. Thank you that you're not like us. Thank you that you're a God whose love endures our sin. It endures our, our guilt and our shame. Your love endures forever. And we praise you this morning and we give our hearts to you. And, oh God, even as we bring uh, gifts and tithes to you this morning, I pray that we would know that we can't pay for our sin. I pray, oh God, that we would do it in light of you have, having already paid for our sin. Lord, bring us to your cross. May we lay our burdens down at the cross this morning. May we seek community and help. And, oh God, would you make us a faithful community that loves and loves passionately, so passionately that the world knows that you are God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's bring.